Hello and welcome to a slightly different Plus Dave podcast this week. Different because you are not being treated to our usual host, Dags, and his dulcet tones. Instead, you've got me doing my best impression of a presenter, and I can only apologise for what's to come. He is actually with us, but only as a silent witness and producer today, because he has sadly lost his voice in the last few days, and uh, is feeling very sorry for himself, as he should be. And that's not because of anything to do with his throat, but because he supports Spurs. And that brings me on to the many things we'll discuss today. We're going to obviously have a look at three matches with mixed results and probably the order they happened in leaving us feeling a bit worse for wear at the end of it. We're going to have a little bit of a reflection on the two new boys who have appeared in all three with varying amounts of minutes and we're going to discuss an important topic that the club have just re-emerged with and that is the why words, the word that we love to chant at Spurs but are not meant to anymore. So to kick things off first let me introduce you to our usual guests. Dave how are you? You've had uh, a similar weekend to me by the sounds of Hi Elio, hi everyone. Yes, yeah, football's rubbish right now. <laughs> and uh, But I do want to make a clarification and, and somewhat apology to start with. I think I may have mentioned that I think that Frank Lampard is a fat, talentless non-manager. And I want to uh, slightly re-clarify that. He didn't look that fat. <laughs> well, he was once a professional footballer, so you hope he'd be doing better than bit, most A bit jowly, age, but, but you know. He's all, we're all getting that same age, aren't we? I tell you what, when he was younger, I thought he looked a hell of a lot better than Frank Senior or Uncle Harry ever did. But the older he gets, the more he's beginning to look like both of them. And it's not a good thing, is it? <laughs> it uh, yeah, well, I mean, he's he's probably in a very happy place at the moment. At uh, my expense. Yeah, I, I'm sure he is. And obviously, another sad guest this week, Joe Brooker. How are you feeling today? Have you managed to survive the onslaught of Spurs melancholy of the last few days? Well, not really, because I'm in a WhatsApp group with you and Daggis, so it's been impossible to avoid <laughs> all this uh, self-loathing. Um, and, and Daggis, of course, is ill, lost his voice. I'm looking at him and he's wearing a dressing gown. <laughs> and Dave's just depressed because just the worst person in the world has managed a team that's hammered him. So, um, yeah, it's uh, great energy tonight. Great energy tonight, and I think this is... Thrilled to be here. We, we are thrilled to be here, and I feel like our current moods probably reflect most of our lifetime supporting our individual clubs anyway, so this is probably going to be the most real True. plus Dave podcast we've ever made. Um, a week ago, things seemed so much better. We were about to have two home winnable games, making ground up the league, various rivals were dropping points left, right and centre, and... Where did it all go wrong? Joe, tell us a bit about the Southampton game, first of all. We'll reflect on the FA Cup later, but I want to deal with the nuts and bolts first. I want to deal with the league. So tell me about the range of emotions in the Southampton game. Yeah, the Saints game's just, I mean, Dave's just been watching the highlights and just is aghast at what he's seen just from the short highlights. But it, it just felt like a game where we looked really rickety at the back and really vulnerable to the counter-attack. But we seemed to be getting away with it. And you thought, man, just everything we touch is turning to gold. Because even when we play badly and our defence looks ropey, we're going to pick up wins. And then we, we just got this sort of one-two punch. You know, two really basic crosses have done us. And we've lost the home game that we all expected to win. And yeah, I, I, suddenly now you go from thinking, OK, well, it wasn't a great performance, but with the defeats you start asking a lot more questions now. You absolutely do, and you can forgive a bad performance, particularly when generally performances have been on the up, and we know generally we're looking better coach, players seem to have more defined roles, but something that to me suggests that they've missed something on the training pitch is James Ward-Prowse, one of the best right foots in the league, having that much time and space to deliver not one, but two pinpoint crosses to, to the back post. I mean, do we have to think about the manager potentially in that situation? I mean, yeah, we, we were sort of joking before we, we started the podcast about Conte out, you know, <laughs> the, all the demands for him to go are going to start. But I bet there's a few of those on Twitter right now. 
It doesn't look good, though, because if that was Nuno, fans would be just losing it with him. You'd be blaming the manager straight away for those two Absolutely. goals that were conceded. So I don't know why Conte gets let off from that, especially when, you know, his MO is somebody that's extremely organised at the back. So, yeah, I think that's kind of blame Conte on this one, really. I mean, the defence didn't look good throughout the whole game, but that, that looks like training round stuff to me, as you say. It does. I mean, don't get me wrong, the defence is missing its best defender in Eric Dyer, at least best defender in my opinion. I know that everyone's massively sold on Romero. He's still learning the league. He's still got a bit of rashness in him. Dyer is the only organiser we have. He's the only real talker we have, and he's the most experienced defender we have. So, so we're going to be a bit weaker, but for that, but we got done by really, really basic things in my opinion. I mean, Dave, you've just heard what Joe's had to say about it, and you've just watched the highlights of it yourself. What do you think actually happened against Southampton? I mean, how do you think we managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory so beautifully? I mean, the highlights were not pretty watching. Mm. And I think some of the marking was very, very poor. It felt like you, it, well, just watching the highlights, I was getting anxious watching <laughs> you guys defend in such a small period of the game. It's a really strange one because managers are just human beings and you can always say you know a a manager especially if a manager who's new to a club is trying to work things out and trying to understand things but I think the frustration comes and I think I'm probably bringing some of my frustration at the moment with Marcelo Mm. Bielsa to the table but you can see it you can see where it's going wrong and yet the manager doesn't seem to see the same thing that you see and that is a frustration. And that makes you go, well, what's the manager doing? So clearly something's going wrong there. Something's not right. But it's a really tricky one because, you know, two bad results and two very poor defensive mm. displays does not immediately remove the Premier League and the Serie A titles that Conte has won. But what it does do, it puts a little bit of doubt in your mind that, you know, is this going to work at Spurs? And I think that could be a dangerous thing that spreads if you can't deal with this relatively quickly. And by dealing with it, I think you just need to keep some clean sheets. We do. Um, problem is, our next game is away to Manchester City next week. They're... Perfect. You kept a clean sheet last time, so... <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I think last time Guardiola maybe underestimated quite how defensive Nuno could be. I think that game 10 games into the season and we lose 6-0. But that might be a problem, though, because the fact that you've had such poor performances and results against two teams you should have beaten will mean that Conte will be... I reckon Conte will be very tempted to do exactly the same thing he did with Chelsea, which is not follow his process and follow his, you know, his formation, his strategy, but try and play the game to not lose. And it won't work. It won't Uh, work. You can't do that against City and history shows that every time Spurs try and play reactive football and passive football as opposed to proactive football and aggressive football it comes unstuck uh, going all the way back to AVB it was great when Bale was single-handedly winning us games Bale gets sold loads of new players and good players like Ericsson and Chadley and Lamella brought in and we can't keep a clean sheet for Toffee because teams know that we're not going to attack them so they go gung-ho um I think what both of you have really said is correct. I think a big part of what's concerned me, first of all, in the Southampton game, and listen, Southampton are no mugs, and Hassan Hootel has a very well-drilled side who have a really, really good press. They really do kind of go after everything. Ward, Ward Prowse seems to have everything in his locker that you want from a modern midfielder. I think he's a severely underrated player, actually. I think Southampton are littered with good players across their side. Brozier seems to have been a really good loan for them. And Carl Walker-Peters, who we gave them, would walk into our side at right back. But I feel like Southampton, a lot of what they had success with was stuff that we allowed them to have success with, as opposed to them actually... And that might sound disrespectful, but... It wasn't the typical sort of nick the ball high up and break through our defence that Southampton do to most teams and have done to us previously. It was us not getting the basics right a lot of the time. And that's two games against Southampton now where, apart from when they went down to 10 men last time, we've been the worst team. I think you want James Ward-Prowse to be underestimated because you only want to spend £25 on him in the summer (laughs) when, in fact, you're probably going to end up spending about £65 on him. Well, I think someone will. I don't think it'll be us, sadly, I think. 
I think whoever doesn't successfully prize Calvin Phillips away will probably go straight for James Ward-Prowse. That's what I think. And it's a shame that Spurs abandoned years and years of getting players like this at the point that they were about to break through and instead started throwing money around at uh, Waste of Space. But, but we've cried about that enough on this show. Um, Joe, I mean... Any positives to take from the Southampton game the other day? Is there anything you saw that you did like? The only positive really would be Son. Um, kind of an obvious thing to say is he got a goal and, you know, was very much part of the own goal for our, our two goals in there. Mm. But he, he just seems to be getting in good positions, that the running continues to be really good. Um, came not quite as good as he's been in, in recent performances where his form's picked up. But I do feel like where we were really worrying about going forwards, that seems to be continuing to improve. It's just unfortunately coincided with our defence really falling back all of a sudden. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, Son, Son's the one who caught my eye for Southampton. How about yourself? Um, I think Son caught my eye. I thought Benton Cole came on and in moments was our best midfielder of the match. I liked what I saw from him. I think Lucas continues to, though maybe less so today, and we'll get to that, but Lucas continues to actually be one of our more creative outlets. I mean, he was key in both goals we scored and had a couple of other really beautiful slide rule passes that you didn't really know he had in his locker until recently. But I think that's very much on review after four days of reflecting on the match, because in the heat of the moment, I hated everything and everyone involved in that game. I, <laughs> I I didn't get home till one in the morning, and I spent that entire drive home just uh, feeling very sorry for myself, if I'm honest. And I, I think whether it was a three-hour drive or a 30-minute drive, it would have felt equally bad for all Spurs fans. I mean, it's one thing losing a game because you get sucker-punched. It's... Another losing a game because you deserve to lose it and you actually shouldn't have ever been ahead in the first place. And I, I feel like the game against Southampton the other day was almost the exact flip of our game away to Leicester before the break, where we were the better team the entire game, but they went ahead twice and we sucker punched them even more dramatically. But we brought on Bergwin and he did his business. I mean, do you see a comparison there? That's a really good comparison with the Leicester game, actually, a good mirror image. But I would say we played really well against Leicester. I'd say Saints had a good game plan against us. Okay. But I, yeah, I mean, I think you're right, though. It's it's a good comparison. So, Dave, you're, you're not a Spurs fan. You watch a hell of a lot of football. You have been sort of up and down the leagues in the last two decades as well. So, as an outsider looking at a club like Spurs, and you probably know more about Spurs these days than most Leeds fans do, sadly for you... Um, <laughs> What do we do to address the current mini-rot that's setting in? Or is it a current mini-rot, or is it just that before the last few games, we'd escaped from a longer-term rot for a bit, and now we're back in it? Unbelievably, I was looking at the table, unbelievably, if you win your games in hand, you're probably still in a pretty de- <laughs> within a relatively decent shout of fourth, which is just, well, testament of the league at the moment, to be mm. honest, and the way that everybody seems to be taking points off each other and nobody really wants that fourth spot. The risk of turning this into a a mad panic where everybody's going, oh, it's all falling apart, Spurs are falling apart again and all that jazz, but that risk is something you just have to ignore and focus on the fact that you've got to put your faith in the manager. You've got to put your faith in Conte. You've got to say, you know, he's he's done it before and he will either do it again or he'll finish 10th and that's not the end of the world and... He'll leave and you'll get someone else. So, you know, and the the circle begins again. Uh, um, but I I do think it's an interesting one because he's he's known to be the kind of person that would leave if he doesn't get what he wants. Mm. The question is, did he get what he wanted in January? I don't know what the answer is. I think Conte is a pragmatist. Especially seeing Diaz play for Liverpool. It is almost unbelievable to even dream that he would have played for Spurs, no <laughs> offence. Uh, he just looks like a Liverpool player. He's like, you know, Suarez incarnate. Hopefully less biting. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> of course. If that was just to try and appease Conte and Conte seeing through that, then that's a problem. And then you're going to have to deal with that at some point. But, you know, I was listening to Guardian uh, Football Weekly and they were saying that, you know, they don't think you're going to see Conte's Spurs until next season. I think the risk is that Conte doesn't get to next season because you don't do anywhere near as well as you should have done this season. Now, that's a worst-case scenario, obviously, but I don't think it's a rut. I think it's two bad results. Mm. I think you can get back on it. I think you've got great players. Conte's a good coach. 
can probably have some home truths, probably shake a few people out, probably a lot of cold showers and a lot of people looking in mirrors. But hopefully you can get this sorted and hopefully that can start. And it's a hard place to start, but it can start with City with at least a game where you watch it and you're not like, well, that could have been avoided. That could have been annoyed. City can score enough goals on their own. They don't need your help. So hopefully, even if you don't win, a performance that means that you aren't embarrassed, that you you put that performance on the table is what you're looking for. Not being embarrassed would be nice. However, speaking from a a man who got beat seven yeah. nil at the Etihad, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, misery fetishists that Spurs fans have to be to survive the whole process. We were embarrassed again today. Let's go into a little less detail than that because I think the game can be summed up in two moments very, very um, succinctly. Dave, today's two goals that we conceded. What do you think? <laughs> Well, I don't know what Loris was thinking with his second. I don't. I, I don't want to call it a parry. What's? I. I don't know much about fencing, but what's the? What's the term? Less than a parry. <laughs> Any ideas? Oh god! It was like a. It was like a, a gesture towards the ball, and yeah, you know, if in doubt, you know, put it in the danger area. That's what they say, isn't it? Jesus. Yeah, it's not oh, no, just no, that. Wait, he that's not what they say for shot. goalkeepers. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just that he parried a soft shot. It's that he parried it right back to where. It didn't need to be. I mean, at least push it wide. That's what they said. Oh, my God. It was horrible. They were both pretty bad. I think the second one worked, looked even worse because it's one of those where the ball is bouncing and, you know, it bounces off. Did it bounce off the post? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And I think and I think, I think, when it bounces off the post and nobody sees it coming, everybody starts to roll around like like bomb heroes and, and suddenly it look, just looks a mess. Mm. And that's, I think, the worst part about that one, where it's like, you almost thought people were running away from the ball, it felt like. <laughs> and then, obviously, the Wolves player, I can't remember who it was, comes Donker. to tap it in. yeah. There you go. But, yeah, two kind of goals that you don't want to see your team concede. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, don't want to see any goals conceded, but definitely not goals like that. Loris's bad pass, of course, led to the second goal as well when he sliced it out wide and left Davies with absolutely no chance of turning it into anything. Bags is just reminded of that in the chat. So thank you, Mr. Producer. Uh, See, he's still contributing even if he can't speak. That's what we we like from our dear leader. Um, I would say, I would say though that, you know, I wouldn't put the blame on Loris there. You know, Davis is a professional footballer. He should know what to do with it. Yeah, hoof it out. You don't do with it. You don't hit it 25 yards in field. Yeah. That's just not what you do. No one does that. Never pass across your own goal. That's one of the first things I was ever told when making a mess of a defensive situation at the very, very poor level I played football. And it was (laughs) a very, very poor level. It was sixth or seventh team for a school that didn't even have a good first team. So uh, uh, less of that. You're right. The situation is salvageable. Joe, how do you actually feel looking at the rest of the season? And intertwined with that, we've got two new boys. They've had different levels of impact, maybe in different amounts of minutes so far, but they've both given us three games now, one in the cup, two in the league. Is there cause for optimism going forward? Can we, like Dave says, can we actually make this not a rut and actually push forward? I mean, in terms of the rest of the season, so... Dave alluded to the fact we've still got a ridiculous amount of games in hand because of just you know ridiculous COVID cancellations and snow problems earlier in the season. So at least we've we've got the opportunity to make up ground. But we've mm. really blown a great opportunity this week. You know, I, I did point out on the last episode that we shouldn't be too confident about the Wolves game because of the fact that they are in very good form, winning four or five games coming into today. But um, you still thought. You know, our form's been improving gradually since Christmas, and you did feel that we'd probably pick up six points. And we looked really good against Brighton in the FA Cup. So it it's a real gut punch, and you, you feel really negative now, like, well, we're not going to get in the top four now. But then you look at West Ham and Man United, who I think are our main rivals. I mean, Leicester are gone. I, mm. I, you know, I, I'm not at all worried about Leicester. But United look awful under Rangit, and Ronaldo... Is broken at last. Like his, you know, his goal scoring days seem to be over, which is really annoying because he's my captain in FPL. <laughs> and um, and same for Daggis, apparently. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but but also West Ham are suddenly just they've really lost their verve. They they seem to be struggling energy wise. 
Mm. Um, they have a so, thin squad. They have a very good first team with some lovely players in there, but they really do have a thin squad. They've got some really good first team players, and like you say, there's not a huge amount of depth. They've got Europa League to contend with, and Antonio has stopped scoring. Another player on my FPL team. Mm. So the competition for fourth doesn't seem to be very good at the moment. So I don't think we need to like give up, but we're not going to get in the top four based on the last <laughs> week. Absolutely um, not. The second thing you asked about the two new signings, I mean, we still need to see more, but it, it's good to see Ben Tanker. He's obviously, well, Conte certainly thinks he's ready for, for first team football and he, he looks like he's okay with the, the pace of the Premier League. Um, Absolutely. But I don't know. I mean, look, you, you were at the Wolves game today, so you, you can give a better, a bit of feedback, but, um, it, it seems to be positive, but is it, you know, I don't know if the sample size is big enough yet to, to draw an opinion. It isn't big enough, but yes, I was there, obviously, and Benton Coeur, he he played the the whole match, and I mean, the gulf between him and Harry Winks is evident, that's a starting point, but it's just nice to see a midfielder do both parts of the game, off the ball and on the ball, well. It's nice to see that he actually has the energy to carry the ball a little bit. He he does get tackled and he doesn't always make the right choice, but he, he's also 24. It'll come and this is his third game in a new country. But he actually has the dynamism to get the ball in our own half and take it forward 20, 25 yards. If he's got a pass on the second he gets the ball, he tries to make that pass and it's a progressive one. It's not just the safe option every time. So... He'll probably never have the greatest passing stats because he is actually trying to progress our play. And midfielders who take responsibility for progressing play are not going to have as good passing stats as midfielders who just sideways and backwards it, unless your name is Xavi or Iniesta or Modric, basically. And they're the three best central midfielders of the past 20 years, really. So let's not beat him up if he doesn't get a 90% pass success rate every game because he's actually trying to do something with it. The problem is... I felt that he was doing the work of two men in midfield today and I feel like we always get back to a point where we hammer Harry Winks. It's inevitable, but he had a little sort of purple patch, looked like he was beginning to get a bit of confidence and then he's just reverted back to sort of the insipid player that he has been for a good couple of years. So I don't think that helps. I mean, even less opportunity to analyse Kulusevski. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that he's going to take a bit longer to get used to the Premier League, the pace of it and the way we play here. But... Have you seen anything that you like about him at the moment? Either of you. Dave seems fairly nonplussed by that. Wasn't in the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the FA Cup game was sort of the best opportunity I saw of him. And yeah, I mean, he looked energetic. He got involved with a couple of things, but we, we were playing well. So I, I, I just have zero opinion. But I'm interested in what your opinions are, having been to today's game. I'm also interested to know, and I don't want to change the the topic too quickly, but I'm also interested to know how Romero looks today with the full 90 minutes that you had of him. Because I thought he looked so good against Brighton last week. So I think, first of all, on Kulazewski, he came on very early in the match. It was a good proactive substitution, which ultimately had no impact. So we're talking about a 21-year-old boy who's barely played this season, and he's getting used to new league, new culture, new country, and he's brought on for tactical reasons in the first half hour of a match in a game that you're losing um, 2-0 and you completely change formation to a 4-2-3-1 from a 3-5-2. So there was absolutely no playbook for that. That was an impulse decision from Conte to try and shake the game dramatically. He was dreadful for the first half when he came on up until halftime. His touch was completely off, which was disappointing. He he looked slow and sluggish. He looked out of sync with everything. But second half, I thought he did grow into it more and more. I'm going to watch Dags' facial expressions because I know he was watching as the match went along and see if he disagrees or agrees with me. But he grew into the game, I thought. And towards the end, he was the only one that, in my opinion, looked like he could get us behind the Wolves' defence. He put in a few good passes in behind, I think, one for Son, which Son took a bad first touch for. And he looked a little bit more in tune with things. And that was promising. And Listen, with new signings, I'm not looking for fireworks straight away, nice though that is, but specifically January signings, that's 
almost never going to happen. Bentoncourt has kind of hit the ground running. I'm still hoping there's more to come. Kulisevsky, let's be patient. After Son's first season at the club, he'd scored three goals and was requesting a transfer back to Germany because he didn't think he could hack the Premier League. And he went on to become one of our most important three or four players. So, so patience in these situations. But I like some of what I've seen. And... There's also potential reasons for concerns if they're not just teething issues, but actual ingrained issues, like the pace thing, like the touch thing. So we'll see. Benton is definitely the one I'm more excited about at this point. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's the one that can do the most immediate effect on the team. Absolutely. I think. And I just want to ask Dags, before I forget, can we just rewind this tape and edit out the stuff that Georgia said about Ronaldo not being able to score anymore, bearing in mind that he's playing Leeds next Sunday <laughs> that would be great I wonder why you were shaking your head that's, when I said I, I, that's, ridic- that's a ridiculous thing to say Joe <laughs> and I entirely blame you now so you asked me about Romero Romero is funny because he seems to play in games where we can see two and three goals every single time and yet I always think he looks good and maybe it's because he's so all action and he's stepping out of defence and winning things what I'd say is Romero and Sanchez can't play together in the same back two back three whatever together you're looking at two people who want to step up and it's going to leave gaps and it's really hard to know who to assign blame to in those situations because you bought them to do that role they should be competing for one spot as far as I'm concerned I like him he's quick people don't get behind him he nicks things before they turn into dangerous attacks more often than not so there's not too much to dislike but he needs a more passive partner. He, he needs an Eric Dyer, basically. He needs someone who can actually guide him. I mean, when we had Alderweireld and Vertonghen together, obviously we're talking about two world-class players in their prime, but they're very good at both being both kinds of defenders. Sometimes Vertonghen progressed and Alderweireld sat off, sometimes the other way around. And we were very spoilt by having that centre-back pairing, even more spoilt when you consider that we, we spend a combined 25 million on them. We spend about a combined 95 on Romero and Sanchez, to put that into context. So, uh, so... I think it'll come with Romero. I think he's going to be really good, but I don't think we'll see the best of him when he's playing without a real organiser in defence and without someone who can do the karma stuff. I mean, Dave, I saw a few facial expressions as I was yammering away there, so your thoughts, please. I think Romero will come good. I mean, I think it was the Brighton game, wasn't it? Mm. And they and I think they focused on it and on match of the day. And you've got to love it when a defender comes out and just anticipates the pass and comes out and just gets rid of it before the attacking players even get the ball. It's absolutely awesome. It's the sort of stuff that, uh, you know, that former Leeds United player who now is very much associated with Manchester United used to do a lot uh, and, and made me love him before I hated him. And, you know, it's just a sign of someone who really does understand and read the game really well. Mm. And that's obviously really important and a real asset to a team. But I think, yeah, you need to, <laughs> you need to, you need to surround him with a steady and solid and a consistent defense. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's part of the challenge at the moment. You know, I'm not defending uh, Emerson Royale, but it's never going to help when you keep switching right backs and it's never going to help when you keep switching left backs and it's never going to help when you keep switching defensive partners. So, yeah, maybe the best thing Conte could do for Romero is is to uh, just commit to a set of defence that is just going to be that set of defence for the foreseeable, uh, come hell or high water. Absolutely. And I mean, familiarity, I've always said familiarity, consistency, that what breeds good football at the end of the day. Obviously, the players need to be good enough in the first place as well. But yeah, uh, what you said about him in the match of the day analysis and the, the comparison with Rio, I think without wanting to obviously say he's as good as or will ever be as good as Rio, hopefully he can be. But I think that that's quite apt and it almost allows you to play that 3-4-3 that we've been playing, but also play a three-man midfield, play sort of a kind of 4-3-3, 3-4-3 hybrid because he's kind of doing a defensive midfielder spot and a centre-back spot at the same time. And it's really good, but he'll also get exposed from time to time doing it, particularly if he doesn't have that steady Eddie to mop up when he does overcommit. So it's all about partnerships. I mean, 
Ferdinand and Woodgate, Ferdinand and Vidic, King and Dawson, Terry and Ferdinand, like you. Um, we're saying Ferdinand's name a lot. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make you down the rest of your wine, but... Uh, he... to, to be honest, the, the wine's all gone, but to be honest, I was laughing that you put King and Dawson in with those other duos, to be honest, but, you know, it's a Spurs podcast, well... you you, you're entitled to put some random stuff I tell you what, for in. a couple of years, King and Dawson were absolutely exceptional, but uh, Dawson's injuries and King's okay. injuries always seem to combine in a bad way. So, I think we've reflected on those two enough. Brighton, loved that win. Very happy with the performance. Brighton are a good side. Joe, we're now into the last 16 of the FA Cup. We've got an on-paper favourable draw away to Middlesbrough, so we're hoping we end up in the quarterfinals. FA Cup. United and Arsenal out of it, the two sides that have won it more times than us. Do you think we can win it? And given the choice between an FA Cup or getting top four in Champions League football, where does your heart lie? Um, I feel like I spoke to one of Daggis or Elio about this recently. I think it was you last week, wasn't it, at lunch? I said to you that I would rather win the FA Cup than qualify for the Champions League. Now, I absolutely understand the economics behind that and that Champions League football is much more useful for, you know, protecting our wage structure and, you know, our investment. But I want to have what Leicester had last year, which mm. is, and so many Leicester fans wanted to win the FA Cup for them the first time as well. They were happy with that, even though they screwed up getting in the top four. I would take that this year because I just, I just want to win something. I, I just, absolutely. I can't stand not winning anything. So I'll take the FA Cup. Do I think we can win it? If I'm honest, there's a mountain to climb still. You know, I know that we, we mentioned Arsenal and Man United being out, but I mean, come on, they're really not a big deal, those two sides. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it, it's a big three now. Go on, Joe. It's the big three you need to be worried about, and they they have to win and it. And they've all been kept apart. They're being kept apart, and they they have to win everything that they, they can. You know, they don't... The FA Cup... It, you know, people thought it was becoming a second-rate thing behind the Champions League and Premier League, but the FA Cup can save your job if you're one of the super clubs. So, absolutely, um, we've got to get through them. We do. The good thing about cup football is that anything can happen. It's not necessarily going to be a reflection of the best team in the competition, as proven by Wigan winning it while going down once upon a time. So it is possible, but yeah, I completely agree. There's some big hurdles there. I'm with you though. I, I genuinely think that if we can win the FA Cup, then I almost won't care where we finish in the league to tell you the truth, we could finish eleventh and I wouldn't care because I'd get to actually see my team lift the trophy that when when I was a kid, I was brought up on the fact that Spurs had won the FA Cup the most times with players like Glenn Hoddle and Steve Perryman and Jimmy Greaves etching their names in history and obviously Ricky Villa and obviously the Aussie Ardealers song Spurs are on their way to Wembley like that's what I mean we're the same age you and I were brought up by Spurs supporting fathers on Tales of Glory none of which we've managed to see in our lifetime so there's a head scratcher for you in terms of what will actually take us forward as a club, though, is there an argument to say that winning an FA Cup would just paper over some cracks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But what, what wallpaper that would be? <laughs> <laughs> what gold-coloured wallpaper that would be? Yeah. I mean, take it. I, I would, I would take it. it. So take it. I think certainly once. I think, I think if we won the FA Cup, I think my opinion would very rapidly change for the year after, which would be we, we've got to become a regular top four side again. It was nice to get a trophy, but now it's back to keep getting into Europe. But yeah, I, I still think it would just be incredible. And, and also, it would just annoy so many other fans. <laughs> the fans of other clubs would hate Spurs winning the FA Cup because it ruins all their chance. It really does. And <laughs> all their jokes about trophy cabinets. And you know what? I I asked my dad on the way to the game today. Well, I was telling him, I'm beginning to think it's getting harder to justify this. And if we won the FA Cup at the end of the season, I'm not sure whether it would reinvigorate my enthusiasm for attending or it would actually make me think, yep, I've finally seen us win something. Let's pack it in and quit while we're on top. Um, I'd hope it would be the former, but we need some happiness as Spurs fans at the moment. And we've been in the Champions League several years on the trot recently. It was good fun. It was wonderful seeing us. I mean, my favourite ever defeat as a Spurs fan is watching Messi tear us apart at Wembley. Um, so, uh, and I've seen what us in the Champions League final now. I've seen us school Juventus and Real Madrid 
Madrid. Obviously, Juventus still beat us because Spurs, but we definitely outplayed them over two legs. Dortmund, when they're on top of the world, when they were like sexy young thing in Europe football-wise, and we absolutely ripped them apart. So I've had a lot of that in recent history. What I haven't had is a trophy. What you haven't had is a trophy. What what might give Dagus's voice back is a trophy. So let, let, let's get one, for God's sake. Cool. So I, I think that's probably everything we can say about the current state of affairs. Now, Spurs this week have tried to gently nudge the supporters, changing tone somewhat on, on this chat, gently nudge the supporters towards abandoning one of our most sort of common and vocal forms of chanting, and that's a certain word beginning with Y. So before I, I ask you how you feel about that, Joe, I, I want to ask Dave what as an outsider, as a non-Spurs fan, what his understanding of why Spurs fans have used that word is, um, whether that's something that he understood before he knew all of us as well, or whether it's something he's learned through us, and whether he thinks it's actually relevant in this day and age to do that. So, so Dave, your thoughts on the why word? So, this is a slightly difficult one for me, because I don't really understand the history um, uh, of it. My knowledge of it really does only come from an opposition supporter's perspective when Spurs came to Ellen Road in the late 90s, early noughties, Mm. and there was a chant which was particularly awful, which obviously turned what, for some people in Spurs, is a, a name which is a badge of honour, to a very, very, very derogatory term that was linking them with certain atrocities in the past. So I honestly don't remember. I was, I was very young, 15, 16, no idea. This was your own fans chanting this? This is the Leeds fans chanting, okay. yes. And from then, I'd always had that association, mm. but I'd never understood why, and I'd never really questioned anything. It was just something that I was aware of. And, you know, the ignorance factor, you just kind of said... Well, I guess that's the thing, but I'm not going to ask why and I don't need to know why, quite frankly, which, you know, probably used to be cool uh, and used to be okay, but it's getting less and less okay now. And I think, well, going to the actual thing that was published itself by Spurs, Mm. personally, you know, my brain says about time and my brain says, you know, it's just something that has the potential to be so flammable that it's maybe just worth retiring and i i I understand everything you've said there so before i kind of go on to kind of it's not i i have views which i'll make clear but i'm also going to do my best to be as objective and devil's advocate on this as possible i'm sure joe will do the same but i also want some opinion coming out of this as well and i want to apologize to anyone who disagrees with anything we say by the way and feels that we've misspoken we are Four non-Jews on this podcast. None of us are Jewish. None of us have been brought up in a particular guise of fear of any kind of discriminatory or anti-Semitic or racist abuse. So please do forgive anything that we say that doesn't overly convey the feelings of you. And we're always all open to be educated. It's also kind of worth mentioning at this point that we are going to do our best to treat it as sensitively as possible. And the reason we are saying the why words or just why or anything like that, as opposed to the full words, isn't because we necessarily think it's right or wrong. It's because we want to just refer to it in the way we've been asked to by the club and because we actually want to make sure that if there is anyone who could be offended by what we say, that we are doing our best not to. So that was a that was not very succinct of me, but I hope I got the point across. Now, um, Joe, in response to what Dave has just said, what's your understanding of why we do it? Have you ever chanted it yourself? And do you think it actually causes any harm? Or do you think actually the microscope should be on other parts of footballing culture and this could be a form of victim shaming almost? Yeah, and like you said, I, mean, I want to be super careful what I say. You know, again, being a non-Jewish Spurs fan, you know, it's it's difficult to kind of be completely understanding of, of what it's like to to have you know the Y word chanted at games and, and this idea of taking ownership of you know a derogatory term. And, and I, I totally get that. I've always understood the context to be 
everyone else is calling us that. So we're going to take ownership of that word and, and, you know, turn it into a positive thing. And, you know, you, you get a lot of uh, scenarios of that sort of thing happens with racial words, racist words. But I think ultimately, you know, the fact that everyone's got to tiptoe so carefully around this and it's so incredibly nuanced. And it, quite frankly, there are Jewish groups that don't like the, the fact mm. that it's used as, as a chant, you know, by football fans. I think, like Dave says, it's just so much safer to just say, yeah, let, let's agree that it's just best not to use it anymore. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think you're taking away something critical here. I, and I don't think it's wokeism and anything like that. I think it's just a very sensible thing to do in the year 2022, to be honest. So. I, I think I'll survive if, you know, the club decides that that word needs to go. And as will I, but for something to be described as being, I guess, inflammatory in a, in a discriminatory way, surely there has to be some malice and intent in that in the first place. Oh, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I, I would say the vast majority of Spurs fans that chant it mean it in a very collegiate way with you know, not just Jewish Spurs fans, but Jewish people generally. It's meant mm. in a very, you know, in absolutely the most positive of, of ways. And a lot of these Spurs fans chanting it are, of course, Jewish themselves. Exactly, exactly. And I can understand that it would be, again, on the opposite side of the coin, extremely frustrating if yeah, you're a Jewish fan, a Jewish Spurs fan being told, you can't say the Y word anymore. You know, mm. that... Again, that's also kind of straying into interesting territory. But I just think it is mass entertainment at the end of the day. It is sports. And you're always going to find that a club is going to take the safer option. And I think in this case, it's, it's you know, what the club's trying to do is for absolutely the right reasons. You know, it's it's an anti-racist stance. Are the club trying to have an anti-racist stance or are they trying to clean up a slightly murky area because it's a growing global brand and they want to attract sponsors? Well, I mean, of course, the latter is going to be a huge factor, isn't it? Because, like you say, it's that that idea of, yeah, that, that sort of cleaning hygiene word to kind of make sure that the brand looks good globally but it's a lot of the former as well like i said uh, and i think probably my mindset around it and i actually have never chanted it because i don't identify with it but i do very much enjoy when it does get chanted because of the unity it creates and the atmosphere it generates but i I think they may be playing well if if that starts coming out that's true as well (laughs) though today it did come up in the 50th minute um there's a big argument at the moment that us as Spurs fans chanting that invites anti-Semitic abuse and I feel that that's almost like saying a girl wearing a short skirt is inviting some of the comments and worse that she may interact with when that happens like I feel like that's a very victim blaming comments again I I feel like getting to the root of the problem would actually be to hammer down and take action by banning clubs from taking away support to matches when they're supporters and i won't name which clubs because everyone knows who they are anyway make hissing sounds to impersonate a gas chamber and saying spurs are on their way to auschwitz i think if you target those fans then anti-semitism go down i think by stopping spurs fans chanting the y word you're not doing anything other than stopping spurs fans chanting the y words and all that anti-semitic abuse will continue we're, we're currently in a world that has a bit of a growing far-right voice and with that as always has happened throughout history there is an increasing number of anti-semitic attacks and uh, people being targeted and blamed for bad economies and stuff like that because of jewish origins this is happening across the world and across the developed world at the moment as well so that suggests to me that the reason that spurs fans adopted that chant in the first place are just as current now as they were back then how do you feel about that comment yeah i think you're right i mean i think west ham fans are you know, probably going to continue with some of their chanting. I was trying not uh... to name them, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) We're not pointing fingers on this podcast. Other than Um, that, Sean Longstaff. (laughs) Yeah, I think, uh, I think with, you're right. Taking away the Y word from Spurs fans is not going to stop opposition fans from chanting anything anti-Semitic. So, yeah. Does it solve that problem? I, I'm not so sure. Dave, you had a point. Ultimately, it's a suggestion, isn't it? It's a suggestion that it stops mm. being used as part of chanting identification within the Spurs fan base by the club. You know, they're doing something that they think is the right way to distance themselves from something that could potentially be seen as 
what we're thinking it could be seen as, which is negative, which is racial connotations, whatever. I think one of the interesting things that it brings up such debate and it, and and it makes people talk about this, this kind of stuff, because, you know, it's, you know, I know, I know, you know, certain people on this podcast are a fan of Mr. David Baddiel, but, (laughs) you know, I think, I think his, some of his, rhetoric and some of the things that he's written down about about anti-semitism is probably the stuff that probably resonates the most with me as an as a non-jew when i'm trying to kind of get to grips with what the situation is and it's almost like just shining a light on that and i'm not saying that this is an extension of that but what i am saying is that it's interesting that it's happening now it's interesting that there seems to be this kind of positive movement in my opinion of almost realigning anti-semitism much closer to racism and i think that's only a positive and i think spurs staying out of that conversation is also a positive i I agree with that Uh, spurs staying out of that conversation is also positive i think that even if we stop chanting unfortunately we're at the point where spurs will struggle to stay out of that conversation because of the way they're brought into it by others but in an ideal world i think you're absolutely right i think there's one quote that stood out for me that from some sort of researching it in the past couple of days to actually try and reflect views of supporters of Jewish back Spurs supporters of Jewish backgrounds. I've seen some that are sympathetic to the request to stop using it, and I've seen some that absolutely are not sympathetic towards it. An unsympathetic one made what I think is a fairly salient point, and he he said, in point of the fact, the Y word is not derogatory at all. It is simply Yiddish, yes, that's the name of the language, for Jew. We've been calling ourselves the Y word for centuries. It's not the word that's offensive, it's the context in which it's used. For instance, hey you effing Y word, sneered by a skinhead with a swastika tattoo, is about as offensive as you can get. Why words are me, cheered by a friendly Spurs fan, is not offensive. It's the diametric opposite of offensive. Now, and in fact, in the song, they say the thing I love most is being a... So I think what gets to me about this debate is that it seems to have been quite one-sided without much appreciation of the fact that the word isn't meant to be offensive in origin anyway, and also the fact that its use is so obviously and literally one of love and affection, and the fact that that's kind of being brushed under the carpet by the Bedeals of this world, even if he does articulate his points in a way that resonates with non-Spurs fans, I think that's what frustrates me the most, because it means that we're not really seeing a full picture and I openly admit I've also seen a couple of Spurs fans online saying actually you know what there was a point to it once upon a time but now I feel like it's just doing a lot of what you just said making us part of that conversation so I I see both sides of that argument and I think I'm not sure if it was a point you made or a point someone else made but I I did see the point made that if it was some kind of call to arms to stand in solidarity with our black fans instead of Jewish fans who had used a very horrible word beginning with N against them and we started chanting that word army and the thing I love most is being that word that begins with N which obviously I'm not going to say on this podcast if it was that then that would be well lunacy almost it's just not something you could contemplate and it's something that would be hugely hugely offensive because you never want to see that word used in any context but I feel like a key difference there is that that word was actually coined to be hugely offensive in the first place, whereas the Y word wasn't. How do you feel about that comment? Hmm. I am only playing devil's advocate here, by the way. I know that personal views are seeping through a bit, but I also have admitted I don't identify it with myself and has never once chanted it in 30 years of going to Spurs. I I take it back to to what I said previously in the sense that I feel like you know, you are kind of balancing two different things here, aren't you? You're balancing a potentially global, because, you know, that's mm. what the Premier League is, perception of what you're saying against a relatively localised sense of community. And I think that's, you know, that's really tough because there's never going to be a full 100% winner in that situation, is there? There's always going to be a percentage of people on one side who aren't offended and want to use it, and a percentage of people on the other side mm. who are and have the complete polar opposite. And then you're always going to have, if you're going to make this a kind of 3D percentile graph, a percentage of opposition fans who are going to use it yeah. as a weapon. 
um, which is obviously unacceptable, but unfortunately in the cold light of day in the, in the world we live in is something that happens. So I feel like it was something that ultimately was going to have to be talked about by the club at some point. They've talked about it. They've suggested that, quite frankly, the smart move, and yes, Elio, you could say smart from a cynical global corporation perspective, or you could say smart from a look at the mm. way the world is moving perspective. They've said it. I think, I think personally, I think it's the right thing to do with absolutely no skin in the game. And I do think it's something that will probably, I think there was some chanting, um, a little bit around today. the 50th minute. I think I, I think I, mm. I think I saw that. Yeah. And, and I think that will happen, but I also think because these things happen and then these, these things do die down, I think it probably will die down. And I think that we'll probably see the end of that, but I don't think there's ever going to be a hundred percent winner there, but I do think okay. that. The club has gone the right way, and I think it's the way to move forward. Okay, and for what it's worth, I agree with you. It is going to die down. I mean, the fact that it was just a bit of a whimper in the 50th minute, all right, it's hard when you're losing, but it, it probably says it all. And we do have a crowd that's getting younger, and not just at Spurs, but across football in general. It's more family-centric than it used to be. It's not just sort of the middle-aged male-dominated crowd that it used to be, and as a result, I think it's people who have grown up with a set of values that are somewhat more in keeping with what the club has asked than maybe previous generations. And you can see how carefully I'm choosing my words in every step of what I'm saying there, but uh, that's because... I know full well that words can have an impact and the last thing I ever want is anybody to be offended by something the Spurs fans chant. I do genuinely mean that. So I will be sad if the chant disappears completely. I think I'll probably be sad more for the reason that it's been taken out before the actual problem's been dealt with as opposed to sad that the fact that I don't get to hear it anymore, if that makes sense. Joe, before we move on to some fun and games, any final thoughts on that? I just, yeah, really agree with what you were just saying then about the demographics, because I think you're absolutely right. The younger generations, you know, your Gen Zers, I, I just can't imagine them being comfortable <laughs> chanting the Y word at games <laughs> and stuff. And I think you're right. I, I think it's just going to disappear probably as a chant naturally anyway over the next decade or two, just because of the, you know, as, as the younger generation of fans kind of come to become the majority i think it's just that's the way you know the world is going basically it is it's it's a far politer group of people than it used to be once upon a time in fact uh, if things aren't going well it can sound like a cricket crowd for a while so uh brilliant now very serious conversation i I, i'm not i'm not sure i signed up for this (laughs) um... well that's why daggish usually does the hosting because he he manages (laughs) to get the balance right and i drag you down to my low level unfortunately but 45 45 minutes on chechnya next week guys (laughs) let's edit that out (laughs) (laughs) so quick cross-section of what some spurs fans on twitter have said after today's game i'm not even angry anymore it's just funny at this point Taking everything into account, what should be Tottenham's first choice 11 for the rest of the season? And then there's just a dot, dot, dot in every position on the pitch, apart from Harry Kane. What a disgraceful half of football. Get me home. I've never understood people tweeting actually during the match. I know I text you guys a little bit, but watch, watch the game in front of you. I was I was waiting for the diatribe from from you but obviously you saved it for the podcast but um, I, I i absolutely did to be honest uh, i think you've been quite relatively contained about the uh, the last two performances earlier <laughs> well done you've obviously got your uh, your host hat on i do have my host hat on i hope that dagus feels i've done a good job stepping into his shoes this i just week. can't wait for when dags is back and you can you know turn the tap on full Well, we're about to get hammered by Manchester City, so absolutely. Now, just little sort of housekeeping points. Obviously, please, 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 anyone who's managed to listen this far, please listen a few minutes more because we're about to get to the fun part of the show. But also because I'd like to ask you to follow us on Twitter. It's at Positive Podcast. And please do send in any questions that you would like to ask us ahead of the next show. Also, please do send any fan mail in saying how good the quality of hosting was this week and uh, (laughs) that you'd actually be in support for this in future. Um, Now, Challenge Elio, I'm going to be very honest because I I have been a bit of a last-minute sub. It's not the longest Challenge Elio of all time. In fact, it's one question. 
It's one question and it's a who am I question. So I'm going to dive into it. Double Davis thumbs up for me. <laughs> well, it's almost an insta win for Dave, unfortunately. But <laughs> um, but uh, I'm going to back Joe. I think I think uh, I, I have faith in the young man. But uh, same as last week when I when I ran it. I, this isn't a coup. This isn't me sort of. Last week taking Challenge Elio and this week taking the whole podcast and next week Dagus <laughs> won't even be on it as a producer and we'll replace him with like a mannequin of some description. He will be back, I promise people, because <laughs> I know he's everybody's favourite part of the show. But uh, I, I'm, gonna, I, I I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Dags to come off mute for for two words. <laughs> Darren Anderton. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, oh dear. I really hope he, he doesn't do that because I'm not sure his voice will survive it from what I've heard earlier, but he will be back. This hasn't been a coup and, and we all miss him very much, even though we can see him right now. But I do have 10 clues for you. Which one of you would like to go go first? Oh, I'll, let, I'll let the champion of this game, Dave, go first. All right, I'll, I'll go for number four. Number four. He wore the number nine for us. Um, Stephen Everson. Incorrect. Joe? Question two. He scored his first career hat-trick in his penultimate season of football. Any guesses, Joe? I'm trying to think who, to think who wore number nine now. Um, uh, go on, let's, let's go with another question. Cool. Dave? Number six? Number six. He has 30 international caps. 30. Yes. Mm, that's a bit low. That's what I was thinking it was. Um, Pavlichenko? Incorrect. Joe? Question 10. He scored in the last match of his professional football career. Chris Armstrong? Incorrect. Dave? <laughs> Racing for days. Number one. Number one. We bought him from Portsmouth. Um, Jermaine Defoe? We did actually buy Jermaine Defoe from Portsmouth, but it's not him. Joe? Uh, question three? Question three is, no. he has scored in a World Cup. I keep wanting to say uh, Sheringham, but he was number 10, wasn't he? Sheringham was number 10. But Sheringham had more than one number for us. Was it? Was the other one number nine? <laughs> <laughs> If you want to guess Sheringham, you can guess Sheringham. All right, go on, Sheringham. No. Sheringham didn't score in a World Cup, did he? He did play in a couple. He he scored at 98, didn't he? No, Owen came in for him very early on, I think. Uh, Right, okay, number five. Number five. He has been managed by Jim Smith, Howard Wilkinson, and Glenn Hoddle. Oh, gosh. I should get this now, I think. But I'm struggling with anything. That's the question for you uh, to join the dots on clubs. Yeah, that's my that, that's the one I'm gonna have to think about it. Uh, I haven't got a guess. Fair enough, Joe. I'm trying to think of strikers now. I've got a better feel for the time period we're talking about. Um, you have seven, eight, and nine remaining, and then I'm gonna have to go off of Wikipedia. Um, question seven or clue seven. He's six foot one. Rule Fox. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Rule Fox. Uh, question nine. Question nine. He has played in two finals for us, winning one. I feel like Joe should get this now. Not to put any pressure on you, Joe. Um. Oh. Have we said Peter Crouch? I don't believe you have. I mean, he's not six foot one, but yeah, that would be a huge so disservice to three meter so people. So I'm not going to say him. Yeah, so I'm not going to say him. But uh, I can't think of anybody else to be honest. He played number nine for Spurs. Yes, <sighs> number nine for Spurs. It's called in the World Cup, and I'll give you a free one there as well because it could be a case of he wore number nine for. Oh, one I've got season. it. I've got 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 it. Okay, go on. I think I've got it. <laughs> Is it Frederick Canute? It is not. Oh! Um, Joe, there's one clue left, so I'll just give you the clue. He now lives in California. Not Jürgen Klinsmann. 
it is not. But I do want to clarify the fact that this isn't a case of someone who just wore number nine on the odd season and he had a different number the whole other time. Number nine is actually the number this player wore the most for us as well. So it's not a trick question. Right, I'm gonna throw out. Oh my a goodness, few... this is tough. I'm gonna, tough I'm gonna throw a few easier clues out bit by bit. I thought I, thought I had it with Kanete. Well. This player was not a striker. That's been my line of thought all the way through. <laughs> was he a left back or something? <laughs> got a left back with number nine. I mean, that would that would really make Daggett's blood boil. I know that. I've got a guess. Go on. I don't know why. I think. It's right, but I think it's right. Pedro Mendes? No. <laughs> you signed him from Portsmouth, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, we sold him to Portsmouth. We signed him from Portsmouth. Ah! <laughs> uh, I knew it started with port. <laughs> Many good things do, like port and cheese. Um, so this player, <laughs> this player played just short of 300 league matches for us. He played over three. He played three hundred games at number nine uh, as number nine, and never played at number nine. He never played as a striker, but he had the number nine for the majority of his Spurs career, and he played just under three hundred games for us. Who who were the managers again? See, that would have been a reason for me to not support Tottenham. <laughs> the, the the flagrant disregard of the sanctity of squad numbers and their positions is a big thing. <laughs> who who were the managers again, Elio? Jim Smith, Howard Wilkinson, Glenn Hoddle. Mm. Do you want to take a guess, Joe, or do you want another clue? Uh, go on, let's have another clue. His final five England caps were under five different managers. So I've given you two clues there. This is too hard. Bring back Dags. <laughs> <laughs> and we need another clue earlier. Okay. Um, I, I want to make it easier. I don't want to make it too easier. I've just told you sort of... English, and you know he's played and scored at a World Cup as well. One of this player's Spurs managers was George Graham. So you can hone it down to a three-year period from that one. Obviously, paying 300 league games nearly for us, he was at the club longer than that, but he was in George Graham's team as well. I feel like this is a fair question. I'm just... Terrible uh, <laughs> Spurs knowledge. Oh wow! I, I don't, this is, yeah, this, I don't think why this is unfair. So yeah, I don't think this is unfair. God, um, you were faster with the biscuit factory lady. <laughs> well, you know, you remember it mm. when you see a woman who looks like a biscuit factory. <laughs> that is true. To be honest, you'd think I'd remember someone who played with the number nine, but not as a number nine for three hundred times, which is ridiculous. Not every appearance was with the nine, but it was the majority number he had. Can so this is probably going to make it a bit too easy, but but we are struggling a lot with with the one question. I don't suppose you can tell us which World Cup the player scored at. I mean, talk about not helping. <laughs> <laughs> he scored in the ninety eight World Cup. That should probably give it away at this point for England. I don't have a clue. I'm just trying to think who scored our goals at the World Cup. I'm just working through it. Dags knows. Give me, give me another minute. He finished his career at Bournemouth. I can't remember who our third group game was against. He was with Spurs for twelve seasons. Who was? Um, who were, Who did England play in the group stages at the World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> just no. <laughs> He was primarily right-footed. Oh, God. I'm not sure which one of you is going to feel more frustrated at the end of this. It's not Darren Anderson, is it? Yes! It is Darren Anderson. Oh, God. Darren Anderson won number nine for Spurs. Yeah. That's an embarrassment. You're an embarrassment of a club. You deserve everything you get. He wore nine. <laughs> he wore the number nine until the 99-2000 season, at which point Graham switched him to number seven. <laughs> Wise move, George. <laughs> Who does he score against at the World Cup? Colombia. Him and Beckham oh, both scored, scored uh, great goals that game. I thought it was one 0 against Colombia. Yeah. Ah, very well, good. Well, that was ridiculous. And I did say Darren Anderson right at the beginning. You actually did, but you were, doing it, you were doing it on behalf of Daggett and it was before I'd given this a clue. Of, this, this is one of those, isn't it? When I said, I can't remember what it Dembele was. Dembele was the I one. I said it in jest. 
Oh, well done, Elliot. That was uh, horrible. Well, if I was only going to choose one question, I had to make it a good one, didn't I? I thought it was quite yeah. a good one, to be fair. Probably 30 caps, better. yeah, that's, that makes sense. So. Oh, wow. Well done. Well done for well done, still everyone. managing to maintain your Who Am I record. Joe, I set it yeah, up for even you. Even when it was Darren Anderson. Joe, you always shout Darren Anderson as a joke. What? What? Why not? <laughs> why not this time? I know. I think it's because Daggis wasn't doing it. I think it was a bit thrown. And that's why I lost today, sadly. I think if it was Daggis, I would have done it. So, uh, yeah, that, well, that explains everything. I think we can all agree that that's probably the end of my tenure running any kind of question time on this show. However, I hope you, the listeners, enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed hearing them squirm and know that they should be getting it and still <laughs> not getting it. Uh, just to let everybody know, Daggis was contributing in text form, texting me answers as we got along. His guesses were Crouch, then Pastiga, then Paul Stewart. So he didn't fare particularly brilliantly either. But he did eventually text me Darren Anson a few minutes before the boys got it. I think that's a wrap for this week. But thank you, everybody, for contributing. Daggis, especially as a silent partner. Dave, did you enjoy yourself? Um, well, I mean, there's several mixed emotions in that, <laughs> uh, in that episode, I'm not going to lie. It went from the uh, from the ridiculous to the to the sensible to the serious to the sublime, if you're going to talk about Darren Anderson, I guess. So, yeah, it was, a, it was quite the roller coaster. Probably but, um, a bit more enjoyable than Leeds. Well done, Elia. We're Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well done, Elia. We're all still alive, so it's all good. Well, I think after what was a horrible football weekend for all of us, and a horrible football week for all of us, though, you did win midweek at least, so that, that was... Was good for you at least. Who did? Didn't you win midweek? No. No, mate. What happened yeah, midweek? We drew three all at Villa. It was good. It was a good game. Very watchable. Very enjoyable. But yeah, one point from six, and we've got Manchester United, Liverpool, and you guys next. So easy nine points. Well, it's quite a nice me. fixture list coming up. To be fair, that's two teams in awful form you're playing. When you need a win, Spurs are the best. Team Joe, you need to stop talking like this, mate. <laughs> And Joe, you obviously had to do a bit of uh, Chino work before the podcast, but how do you feel after this? How do you feel at missing your Darren Anderson moment? Uh, That was very sad. (laughs) That was very disappointing. But I thought you did a very good job as Daggis' understudy this week, Helio. So at least we know in the future, next time Daggis does something to lose his voice, God knows what, uh, at least we know (laughs) we've got a safe pair of hands to take over. Oh, thank you. Should we get him a Spurs shirt with that written on it? <laughs> Daggis is understudy. Daggis is understudy. I think he'll wear it. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> Daggis would love that, but I'm very much looking forward to having our beleaguered but convalesced host back next time. In the meantime, thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed it more than watching Spurs because... For once, I enjoyed recording it more than watching Spurs, maybe because I wasn't having to answer Challenge Elio questions this time. (laughs) And uh, we'll see you in a week. Goodbye.